What is up, Red Rocks Church? I love it. I want to say uh, Happy New Year. Uh, I wasn't on last week, so this is my first time to say it. I hope your juice fasts are going amazing. A bunch of you, at least at Littleton here, they look angry, so that probably means it's week two of our resolutions. I hope your CrossFit is incredible. I did a brand new workout yesterday, and so I can hardly walk. And so if you're visiting and I fall during the message, it's not a Pentecostal thing. It's a total orange theory. And so, Grace, please, I will do my best to get back up if I uh, fall over. Also, fair warning um, for those of you out in any lobby I might be at this weekend, I'm off processed sugar right now, and so I will fight you if you look at me wrong. I am an angry, I am an angry elf right now, okay? God is good, and I will get through this, and I will be healthier and better for it, but right now, I want a baby Ruth, okay? So give me some space and give me some grace, and I will do the same for you as we're on our crazy human uh, New Year's resolutions. Uh, We better pray before we get started because I am a a little bit silly if you're visiting with us, but we serve an incredibly amazing holy God and he's in charge of this place. You don't need to hear a message from me this weekend. None of you do. I don't have the power to help you. I'm, I'm trying to help myself, man, right? But God's word is perfect and powerful. So can we pray that God would bless it? Heavenly Father, at all of our campuses, God, I pray that you would bless the reading and the rendering of your word. God, I pray that you would take my broken, flawed, imperfected, imperfected thinking And you would turn this into a divine moment because your word is what we stand on, God. Help these simple yet profound truths to dig deep into the parts of our souls that need freedom and that need healing. God, I pray that at all of our campuses this whole weekend that they would be houses of honesty and places that are safe for us to be the best version of us. God, I pray this in the name of Jesus. And everyone said... Amen. So we are in week two of this series. We've titled Live Free. This series is a little different than the rest all year because this one is as prophetic as it gets. I don't spend any more time uh, praying and Sean and I got together. We prayed about it. We talked about it. Uh, I don't spend more time all year than this time of year praying for God. What do you want the anthem of my year to be? What do you want the theme? I don't know. Some of you aren't like this. I love anthems. I love themes. They hold me accountable. And last year I had a full sentence for my 2017, but in 2018, uh, God gave me a word and and I got it quick and I felt more excited about it. And I have more faith this year than I've ever as a pastor had for what God's going to do within the confines of Red Rocks Church. And as Sean so beautifully said last week, the word and the anthem of our year is this, and we are going to talk about it and think about it. And we're going to filter this word through every sermon series we do, no no matter what particular subject we're talking about. If you missed last week, the word is simply this, it's freedom. And there's a scripture verse that is gonna, again, be filtered through every conversation and talk we have all year. And the scripture verse is Galatians 5, 1, and Paul says this to the church in Galatia, and now I'm saying it to the church in Littleton and Arvada and Evergreen and Brussels and Lakewood and the men and women at God Behind Bars. There's my late introduction. How do y'all like that, right? See what I did there? Yeah, yeah, beautiful. Paul says this, put it up on the screens. He says, I love this, it is for freedom Christ set you free. Keep it up there, but let's talk about that for a minute. Usually there's always a greater end to the means, right? Usually there's always an ulterior motive with something. Not here. I love what Paul writes. He just simply says, do you want to know why God wants you free? Do you want to know why God went to all of the trouble to send his one and only son from a place of endless perfection down into this 
chaotic star known as planet Earth with all of our evil and dysfunction that we experience down here. Do you know why God did that? One reason, one motive. We don't have to overcome. Religion overcomplicates God. Here's what God wants for you and me. He wants freedom. And I love that. Paul just simply goes, it's just for freedom Christ wants you free. That's the ultimate goal of your life and your purpose. That's the ultimate goal of my life and my purpose. No matter what we all do together and no matter what we all do differently, the ultimate goal of life is that you have a soul that is light, that you walk in a burden that is full of freedom, that is full of the ease that can only come through the work of Jesus Christ. He says it's for freedom that Christ came down here to set you free. But he says more. He says, stand firm then, meaning it's a participatory thing. We know Christ did the heavy lifting on the cross. We know that without his perfect blood, none of this matters and none of this is possible. But Jesus has finished his work and now our job is to simply, like Sean said last week, we stand. We stand on the promises of God until we not only believe them, but until we actually believe them enough to live them out, right? That's where freedom comes. He says, stand firm then, why? So that you would not submit again or be burdened again by the yoke of slavery, all of us to different degrees at all of our campuses, if we're being honest, and we might as well, we're in church, right? God knows everything about you and I right now. If we're being honest, there are degrees of slavery that every single one of us at all of our campuses are experiencing right now. There's no way you can tell me in 2018 that you're just perfectly got it all figured out and every compartment of your heart is whole and healthy and right and that your mind and your body and spirit is just in perfect harmony and everything's just going. It's just not true. I'm going to call you on that if you'd say that, right? It's not true. Christ wants us free from the burden of slavery. And so here's what we're going to do this weekend. We're not going to tackle this whole issue of freedom. It takes a lifetime to understand what it truly means to be free on this side of eternity. But we are going to do this. I'm going to look at a particular aspect of freedom that I believe undoubtedly and with all of my heart is completely fundamental to you walking in freedom this year. In other words, if you don't get figured out this one particular word, this one particular concept that we're going to look at this weekend, all other degrees of freedom are in vain because it just won't happen. We're going to see just how powerful it is, and we're going to do this. We're going to do this thing called Edenology. If you're new to our church, I did a series years ago um, during the summer, and I called it Edenology. And, and I, I proposed to you guys this, and I want to propose to you this again. I said this, if you don't get the first three chapters of the Bible right, you'll get all the other chapters wrong to some degree. Because the first three chapters of the Bible, what I call Edenology... The study of the Garden of Eden, that tells us the character of God. That shows us how things can go bad in life. It also shows us how God is a God of restoration and redemption and clothing and forgiveness, right? So if we don't understand God's original intent, how can we get back there? If we don't know that we know that we know that God's original design for us was to be completely free then it's impossible for us to figure out how to get back there. And so I'm going to spend the next two weeks in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. We're going to spend our, our time this weekend in Genesis 2 particularly, really one verse we're camping on, one actually word we're camping on. We're about to read it. It's found at the end of Genesis chapter 2. If you're new to the scriptures, I'll give you a quick cliff notes. In chapter 1, God's just doing what he does best. He's just speaking things into existence. When God speaks, things happen. 
And God was speaking all of the galaxies and all of the oceans and planet Earth into existence and the plants and the animals and the mountains and all of those other things, these beautiful things. And every time he was done speaking into existence, he would stop and he would say this. He would say, that's good. That's good. Except he wasn't saying good like we say it in the English, right? We go, that pizza was good, right? That movie, yeah, that movie was good. No, no. When God says good, here's what he's saying in the Hebrew. He's saying it's perfect. He would speak us into existence. He'd say it's perfect, it's rhythmic, it's flawless, it's without spot, it's without wrinkle. And then he gets to Adam and Eve and he takes it to a whole nother level because we're his image bearers. And now he says, he doesn't just say it's good, he says it's really good. Like this is, this is it. These are my image bearers. These are the ones in my creation that are actually going to deflect my glory back to me. And when we're doing that, that is when everything is functioning in this realm called freedom. And then he starts to give some ideas about what man and women were created for. And then he starts to bring up this crazy thing that some of us are involved in right now called marriage, right? And he says, hey, people are going to leave their fathers and mothers. In fact, let's read it. He says, this is why a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the fun part, they will become one flesh. We'll be talking about that in March. <laughs> Sex. They'll become one flesh. And then I want to stop for a minute before we read this next part because this is what we camp on for the rest of our time together. I believe what we're about to read next is the, the most incredible, most important statement in all of the book of Genesis because it speaks to what real freedom was originally intended to be. And here it is. It says this. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. You want to talk about freedom. They were both naked and they felt no shame. My son turned 12 this week and so we spent one night at the Great Wolf Lodge in Colorado Springs. If you don't know what that is, it's a hotel where uh, there's an indoor water slide. It is fun for him. It's amazing for me, okay? But there's one problem at this phase in my metabolic story in life. Um, uh, you got to wear a swimsuit. And everything in me wanted to wear the dad swim shirt, but I just wouldn't do it, but I should have because uh, there's these long lines that you're waiting in. And when you get to the front and it's your turn to go down these crazy rides they have, there's like a foot and a half of water you get in while everyone's watching you, like in your swimsuit and nothing else. And, and, and you got to get down, put your butt down there, and then you got to move your legs over. And, and I'm just doing this and I can just feel the weight of shame coming over me, right? <laughs> I'm literally sitting there and there's, I'm getting over and I'm twisting and there's fat rolls and there's all this different. And nobody in line cares and nobody's looking at me. But in my mind, everybody's just looking and going, that dude needs to eat a little less sugar, right? That's what I'm, that's what I'm sitting there thinking. And all I'm feeling is shame. And here's what's so powerful, although that's a silly little moment of shame. What's so powerful is shame is how distracting it was to the purpose, which was to just enjoy my son and time with my son. And, and, and that's a silly thing about shame. But when you talk about real life shame, because of the abuse you experienced as a kid. Do you understand how much of a wall gets put up between you and the joy of the Lord when you have to work through something like being abused as a child? When you start to talk about not just maybe a divorce, but your second divorce, do you want to know coming into the walls of a church the type of potential shame you might feel? You want to know what kind of second-class citizen some people feel like because of those relational mistakes? What about the addictions? What about the financial irresponsibility and indiscretions that are now causing you and your kids to have to downgrade some things and they're feeling the weight of it and you as a parent feel like you feel shame 
You feel like a shell of who you were meant to be. You feel like a failure. Well, Adam and Eve, before sin entered the world, before we ate that stupid apple, the Bible says they were naked. And don't just think about this physically, although that's part of it. But think about it emotionally, physically, spiritually, psychologically, emotionally, everything. There was nothing between each other to hide. Imagine going about your day and you don't calculate words ever because you don't even think if there are problems to say. You don't even think if they're appropriate. You just talk. Imagine doing work with no clothes on and not once thinking about all of this, right? There's no body shaming. There's no body image issues. You are completely known and you have the beauty to completely know someone without sitting under one ounce of judgment. It's just complete and total acceptance. As I'm even hearing myself say this, it sounds impossible. I can't even fathom what it would be like to be in a relationship where there is 100% complete acceptance and zero judgment for 24 straight hours. And this right here is exactly God's original and restorative intent for you and me to be naked and to feel no shame. Don't write me. It's not the physical nakedness, okay? We'll, you'll get kicked out of the service if you're fully naked. <laughs> but we're going to get back there someday. Not appropriate yet. They were naked and they felt no shame. And we know, we know what happens next, chapter 3. Because there's an enemy to this story, right? Jesus said it. The enemy wants to kill you. He wants to steal from you. He wants to destroy you. That's not Old Testament stuff. That's Jesus while well, he's here going, listen to me. Every day you take your head off your pillow, Red Rocks Church, there is an adversary who wants to absolutely crush your soul. And we're going to see here in a minute. Do you want to know what he does? He uses this thing that we call lies to get you to a place we call pride to land you in a place we call shame. And listen to me, lies and pride are nothing more than a means to an end to get a human soul to a place of shame, right? Carl Jung, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, uh, famous psychiatrist, right? He's done a lot of incredible work. He says this, shame is a soul-eating emotion. And we're going to see that in the Garden of Eden, if you haven't already. Shame is a soul-destroying and soul-eating emotion. Uh, Max Licato, I love what he says. He says, if pride goes before a fall, then shame is what keeps you from getting back up. I'm telling you, the enemy uses lies to cultivate pride, to tell us we can do this thing called life better than God. And once you get to that place, it's a matter of time before you eat the wrong thing or say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing or get in the wrong relationship. It's just a matter of time before you eat that proverbial apple. Come on, we all know that. And once you do, there's this internal mechanism that just naturally tells us, hey, you did it wrong, now feel shame. If pride goes before the fall, if pride is what gets us kicked out of the Garden of Eden, then I promise you this, shame is what keeps us out of the Garden of Eden. It's what keeps us from freedom that God wants for us. Brene Brown, who I absolutely love, she talks about shame better than about anyone on planet Earth right now. She says this, shame corrodes the very part of us that believes we're capable of change. What a timely quote, right? It's January. If we could sum up January all around the globe in one word, it would be that word, change, would it not? And she says right there, shame corrodes. Listen to that adjective. Shame corrodes the very part of us that believes 
We're capable of change. The reason why resolution is so powerful in January is because we all decided that we know there's a better version of us buried on the inside. And so we all, if there's one thing the world does in unified fashion, it's January. We go, hey, let's all just have a clean slate. Y'all agree on a clean slate? And then we start to go, what's going to make me, what's that better version? What, what do I need to do? Eat less, eat more, read more, read less, do this, do that, do this. What is it I need to do for that better version of me to come out? Because we know it's there. And I can promise you this, although this isn't the only answer, it's the most fundamental answer. And it's if there are places in your heart of undealt with shame, all your other attempts to bring change and healing and freedom to your life. Listen to me, they are absolutely, ultimately futile. They may work for a little bit. They may cover some things over for a little while. They may tell you some half-truths that you're on your way. But listen to me, if you let any part from childhood to right now, if you let any part of undealt with shame continue to grow in your heart, it never goes good. And so I want to do this. I want to read a bit of Genesis 3. We've all, most of us read it before. But I want us to just rehearse yet again, and we'll do it again next weekend. I want us to see the enemy's MO. I want to see the tools he uses to get us to a place of shame. Genesis chapter 1 starting, or chapter 3 starting in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And let's stop there. We already know that's a lie, right? If you read the Bible, God didn't say that. God said there's one tree in the middle of the garden you can't eat from. There's one tree. And that's a lie. And she's about to call him on it. But I want to say this. The devil's M.O. is lies to get you like he's going to get Adam and Eve to a place of pride so that he can keep you in a place of what? Shame, because pride always comes before a fall, and it's those falls that cultivate shame in the human heart. So the woman calls him on it. So he's going to take a different tactic. She says to the serpent, hey, no, we can eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say this, you must not eat from the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Now listen to what the enemy does, because this has so much to do with us being people of freedom in 2018. This is what he says next. He tries to make God's holiness melodramatic. You want to walk in bondage this year? Downplay the holiness of God in your life. You want to be enslaved to the rules and a victim to the rules of this world? Then make light the holiness of God. Because that's exactly what the enemy wants us to do. Because God's call on our life is so otherworldly. And God's kingdom, Red Rocks, is so different from the kingdom we're immersed in daily that there is just going to be inevitable times where you read God's book and you go, that just seems crazy, God. That just seems dramatic, God. That just seems over the top, God. Well, that's the voice of the enemy right here. He's trying to downplay the holy nature of God's word and God's commands. He's like, come on, you certainly won't die. The serpent said to the woman, and then he says this, he couldn't get her with the lie, so now he's going to do even better work. Do you know what, the, if you think the devil's good at getting you with lies, do you know what he's even better at getting us with? Half-truths. Lies you can spot out sometimes and go, nope, nope, nope. But, but, but when half the sentence he's about to say is true and half of it's false, man, it's amazing what he can do with that. He says this, listen to this half truth. He says, for God knows that when you eat from this tree, your eyes will be opened. Now here's the, here's the lie, that you will be like God. Now here's the truth. 
that you will know good and evil. Not going to be like God. God's ways are higher than ours. God is in and of himself altogether separate from everything, even us, his image bearers. God is God and we are not. And that's never going to change and that is okay. But listen to me. The truth here is you will know good from evil. But what's going to destroy you is you're not God. Therefore, you don't have the character on your best day of human living to steward good and evil. Can, can, can we not look at history? Can we not look at the globe right now? And can we not admit that humans are notoriously horrible at stewarding this thing called good and evil? We just don't know what to do with it. We were never intended to understand the difference between good and evil. That was never supposed to be a part of the human soul's experience was good and evil. Why? Because we're not God. God can handle that, that spiritual heavenly war between him and his enemy, Lucifer. God can handle that. We weren't designed. A good father wanted to keep his kids from that. So he says, don't touch that tree because it's going to make you privy to something that you weren't designed to steward, to hold. You can't on your best day steward that. And so he tells the half-truth and they start to buy it. Listen, it gets in her head. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, we'll talk about that next week, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them, listen to this, were open and they realized that they were naked. Now use that word naked interchangeably with the word shame because they were naked before this happened. But now all of a sudden they're naked and guess what? They're aware of it and guess what? They're uncomfortable with it. Guess what they're feeling? Shame. And so they do what we've been doing now for thousands of years. They sewed fig leaves together and did what? Made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And here's the ultimate form of bondage. They hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. This is what is so powerful about sin and shame is that it causes you to be so uncomfortable in the holy face of the creator of the universe that our most basic and natural instinct, Red Rocks, is to hide pieces of ourselves, parts of ourselves, to take the, the ugly sides of our life and all of us got them and to put them in little compartments and give them pet names and act like they're really not problems. And wrap really justifiable language around it to keep ourselves sane from the reality that, hey, that happened to me. Or, hey, I did that to someone. Or, hey, I participated in that. And the minute the soul feels shame, the instantaneous reaction of the human heart is what? We need to hide. Hide from each other. Places of shame. I don't want my spouse to see this part of nakedness anymore because now I don't like how I feel about myself. And all of a sudden there's a barrier in your love for each other and in your commitment to each other because there's places of you that you think they won't accept. And so now they're hiding from God. But the Lord God called to the man, I love this, where are you? Adam, where are you at? Right? And we, we've said this all the time. God doesn't ask questions that he needs answers to. He knows the answer. He's like a good counselor. Good counselors ask you questions that they're pretty sure they already know the answers to. They just want you to hear you saying them out loud. There's healing in you giving the answers out loud. There's progress when you give the answers out loud. That means you're getting it. And God's saying, hey, where are you? And here's the answer. I heard you in the garden and what was I? Afraid. Because I was, what? Full of shame. So I did what? Hide. Listen to me. 
if faith is the fuel of the kingdom of God, and it is, then fear is the fuel of the kingdom of hell, and it is. And what caused Adam to walk in fear? Shame. I was afraid. Why? What's the root of it? I was naked. There were parts of me that I thought you wouldn't accept anymore. There were parts of me that I'm embarrassed about. There's parts of me now because of my bad decisions that I don't think you'll accept. And I can't handle that because you're, you're the best part of my life, God. You walking with me in the garden in the cool of the day, that's as free as life gets. And now I feel like you won't accept me the way you used to accept me because now I can't even accept me because I see something about me that I don't like for the first time. And so shame makes you fearful and fearful makes us do all kinds of stupid stuff, right? They hid from the creator of the universe. They wanted to, for the first time in human history, do what we do. They wanted to keep secrets from each other. And all of us at every one of our campuses, come on, let's have church. Let's be real. Come on. Every single person in every single seat, to some degree, has secrets right now. And here's exactly at the deep root of why you're keeping them is shame. You're afraid. You're afraid that the minute those secrets get exposed, you're afraid the minute that part of you that you can't stand about you, or you're afraid the minute that part of you that maybe happened to you when you were a little kid and it, it was out of your control, but yet it's brought so much shame. You're afraid that if you let anybody in on that, you're not going to be valued and accepted and you're going to sit under this thing we all hate, but yet we do it like professionals. Judgment. You're afraid. And that's what's happening here. They're hiding from the creator of the universe because of secrets. But listen to me, Red Rocks, please listen to me. Secrets are seeds. They grow. They expand. They bloom. Secrets are seeds that get planted in the soil of the human heart. Every secret you keep is, is in the soil of your human heart. And eventually it will come to the surface. Something of that secret will show. It will be found out. So why wouldn't we want our secrets to be found out on our terms? And the gospel of Jesus Christ, the fact that he's already paid for every single one of your secrets and your mistakes, the fact that he calls you knowing your secrets and mistakes, that he calls you holy and he calls you blameless and he calls you pure and he calls you son and he calls you daughter he's backing us to take off the fig leaves and say you don't have to hide because although a bunch of humans won't accept you and they will judge you and they'll even sometimes make you pay for your secrets I won't and God says this you can't really be free in 2018 as long as you hold on to your secrets you can have secrets in 2018 you can have freedom in 2018 you just don't get both so may we choose us this day what we're going to do with our secrets. Because secrets are seeds planted in the heart. And eventually you want to know the names of the plants that grow from our secrets? I call one plant destruction. I call one dysfunction. I call one deception. And here, here's the ultimate one I call delusion. Because secrets that you keep long enough eventually graduate to their highest form of toxicity, which is this, delusion. Because if you hold on to secrets long enough in your life, you eventually have to become friends with them. If you lie to yourself about you long enough to stay sane about that lie, you eventually have to turn that lie into a truth. Come on, we've all seen it happen. You say something long enough that's not true, eventually you wake up one day and you talk with conviction that what that lie you're telling is true. 
It's delusion, and that's what secrets do. And listen to me, it may feel protective. It may be like you're, 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 you're protecting yourself from the world, but it will never give you the freedom that you want. It will always, always keep you bound. Let me give you another Brene Brown quote. This is so good, I'm going to read it slow, maybe twice. She says, shame hates when we reach out and tell our story. It hates having words wrapped around it. Shame can't survive being shared. Shame loves secrecy. When we, listen to this, this is so profound. When we bury our story, the shame metastasizes. So true. When we bury our story, any part of who we are, shame starts to metastasize. It starts to get nasty. It starts to get deadly over time and it can spread fast. One of the most courageous things you and I will ever do, Red Rocks, please listen to me. One of the most courageous things you can do in 2018 is say, I will leave no stone in my heart and in my life unturned. God already knows, but some other people got to know. That's why the Bible says when we confess our sins to God, he cleanses us and purifies us of all unrighteousness. But then James says when we confess our stuff one to another, there's what? There's healing. Wouldn't it have been nice if God said, hey, I know everything about you and I love you all the same. So let's just keep this between you and me so no humans can make you pay or hurt you or judge you for who you are, for those points of shame. But God won't let us do that. He says, no, 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 no. I created humans. The two will become one flesh. And listen to me. Authentic community is honest community. Your community doesn't have to be huge. Your circle of people, your circle of trust doesn't have to be massive. You don't have to share your stuff with the world to be free. But you do got to share it with somebody. There's this incredible movie I saw over the winter break. My wife made me go. I went kicking and screaming because it's a musical and I don't typically like musicals. I get really angry when there's a really good plot line and all of a sudden someone starts bursting out in song. It bugs me. I'm like, I'll go to a concert if I want music. I'm going to a movie if I want a movie. All right, quit singing, all right? Most of you, you're mad because you love musicals. My wife loves them. She forced me, right? I was getting ready to give her all the points as to why I'm not going, and she gave me the eye. And we know a happy marriage is just when you get the eye, you just follow your wife, right? That's, that's really all it is. We overcomplicate it, gentlemen. Happy wife, happy life. She gave me the, oh, we're family. We're going on Christmas to this movie. So I went and saw The Greatest Showman. By a show of hands at all campuses, how many of you saw that movie? Okay, about half of you. I want you to go see this movie after this weekend. It is incredible. I don't even like musicals. I, I bought the soundtrack during the movie. <laughs> One of the beauties of technology. Literally during the movie. I was buying the soundtrack. I was moved in my soul and in my spirit by the theme of this story of, you guys know P.T. Barnum, who was the creator of the circus. But I, I came across something this week um, on, on YouTube, actually, and it's this, it's this moment where the whole cast and the, the choir and all of the actors, they're in a room, they're in, a, in, a, in an audio stage room, and they're going through the whole script, song and all, and there's some men and women in the back, and they're executives. They got the cash. And the reason they're going through the whole show and singing the songs and doing the lines is because they're trying to get what they call in the industry the movie greenlit. They're trying to get it funded is what it really means. 
And these guys are going, okay, we're interested in the script. Let's hear it. Let's see all the actors that you've got ready to do this movie. So they're trying to get it funded. And it's this one particular song on the soundtrack. And all of them are amazing. But I love this one. It's called This Is Me. And in the movie, I'm not giving anything away. So don't be mad at me. Uh, it's sung by the bearded woman. Okay, it's a movie about a circus. So there's a bearded woman in it. All right, no shock. But what I love about it is the whole song centers around the fact uh, that these people that were once known as freaks and poster children for living a life of shame because of how they looked, how they were different than everybody else. All of a sudden, because of P.T. Barnum in this circus, what, what other people called a freak show, they now called a community. And for them... They tried to look at P.T. Barnum and say, no, this, was, this has been a, like, you can't quit this. You can't stop doing this. This has changed our lives. Because what was once a thing of shame now is a blessing to us. We, we finally got to look at the world and say, hey, love me or leave me, but, but this is me. And so you're going to see a video here in a second of them in that studio room. And she's standing, no beard at this point because it's real life. She's standing behind a, a music stand and she's singing very cautiously. And you can tell a few lyrics into it, she starts to break. Like, hey, this is my story. You can tell. When she's singing it, you can, hey, this is my story. And something rises up in her and the whole room is subdued and calm and just professionally doing their thing. And all of a sudden she gets fired up and she moves the music stand. And she steps out in front of it and she gets into the middle of the choir room. And the whole room starts to change. Watch the piano player, just one of the people in the room. Watch how he looks at her when she steps out from the music stand like, what are you doing? We're trying to get money here. And then watch how the piano, he gets in full Coldplay mode by the end of it. Just watch, okay? <laughs> this is a song from The Greatest Showman called This Is Me.
talking about it also on YouTube, and that was the moment that the movie was clearly funded, right there. And it doesn't surprise me, because between the lyrics and between the, what those lyrics did to the human heart, we all resonate with that. Like, this is me. I'm, I'm, I'm bruised, but I'm also brave. And I, I'm done making apologies. This is who I am. And there's a whole... Can we have church again for a minute, please, and be honest? Life is a mixed bag, Red Rocks Church, of some, some incredibly beautiful moments. And life is this mixed bag equally of some deeply dark and destructive moments that have either happened to us and also that we've caused because of our own bad decisions. Life is beautiful and life is profoundly sad sometimes. And some days life is really, really easy and it's rhythmic like it was supposed to be. It's good like God spoke it into existence and it's rhythmic and it just works and you're just fully okay with who you are and then one thing can happen. One, one little sliver of shame can get into the human soul and all of a sudden before you know it, you're a shell of what you were supposed to be and you start playing small and you start believing lies and fear starts to win. And you start doing all kinds of silly and destructive things like we see Adam and Eve do in the garden. We're no different than them. We're no better than them. We would have done probably nothing different than them. This is the human experience. And at some point, if you want the freedom that Christ came to set you free with, if you want to be the best version of yourself, please eat less sugar, eat more vegetables, run a whole lot, read more books, quit smoking, save money. All of that contributes to freedom in life. But not if you're still keeping secrets. This doesn't happen. The foundational entry level point of freedom is you've got to bear your soul to this crazy, chaotic, sometimes judgmental world and you have to put yourself out there and it's scary and it's hard because not every human being reciprocates with the grace that we all should give each other. But, but you got to be willing to do it at some point by the grace and the courage that God gives you because until you are fully known, you can't be fully free because we were designed to be fully known. We were designed to be fully accepted. And if we would quit wasting so much stupid time talking about whose sins are worse than the others, we could actually get somewhere with each other and say, hey, what's yours? Okay, let me help you because I don't struggle with that. Can I tell you mine now? And without judgment, can you help me and understand since you don't struggle with that, maybe you can be a force of good and strength for me in an area and I can be a force of strength and good for you in an area. But we have to start by going, hey, no matter what you're about to tell me, I will not bring shame on you for it. I'm going to bring hope. I'm going to bring an agent of healing. I'm going to be an agent of grace in a world of people that will bring judgment and, and, and not accept you for who you are. You tell me, and hey, I'll help you, and then you help me, because what we really want is freedom. 
What God wants for you is freedom. And Christ has procured freedom for you on the cross. He is 2 Peter chapter 1. The apostle Peter says, God through Christ has given us everything we need for life and godliness. But now we stand firm so that we don't submit again to the yoke of slavery or bondage. And you cannot stand firm if you're standing in shame. It is a virtual impossibility. Let me read a few cards from last weekend. What do you want to be free from Red Rocks Church? I just want you to see how real this is. Church isn't a game. What we come and do, this is not a nice little country club place for us to come on the weekends and feel a little better about ourselves. This isn't a place we come to to check in with the almighty God to to make sure he's proud of our attendance. This has got to be a house of healing and honesty and truth and grace. Someone said, I want to be free from what people think. Someone said, I want to be free from sugar. It may have been me. Someone said, I want God to heal my hurts that I have from my dad. Someone said, I want to be free from lust. I want to be free from anger towards my parents for abandoning me. I want to be free from the guilt of adultery. And in the same card, I want to be free from self-righteousness. Amazing the capacity the human heart has, right? I want to be free from adultery and I want to be free from thinking I'm amazing. I want freedom from starving myself. I want freedom from anxiety. I want freedom from substance abuse. God, free me from the guilt I have because of my son's death. What we do here is not a joke not a joke man shame is real and it's powerful and it dictates a life in completely an anti-redemptive way if we don't attack it vigorously I want God to set me free from porn addiction whoever wrote that I believe this is your year believe it with all my heart I want freedom from panic attacks and anxiety I want to feel accepted in church and I want to quit smoking weed believe this is your year. I want freedom from secret emotional eating. I have OCD. I need freedom physically and mentally. I need to be healed. Social media addiction in the name of Jesus, let it be. Last one. I want to be free from cancer. Sit in the game we're playing. Life's not a game. This is an evil world and there's a real enemy of your soul but God is greater than all of that. He who is in you is greater than everything in this world and he has procured everything you need to walk in freedom but you forfeit it to such big degrees if you sit in your secret. So at every campus, would you guys stand and the only thing we're doing, this is part A to part B so you can't miss next week. Part B, bring a friend because we're, we're just wrapping up for this weekend and we'll pick back up where we left off. But with every head bowed and every eye closed at every campus, I just want to ask this. If there is a secret place in your heart, if there's a compartment in your life that you have spent so much incredible energy keeping between you and God and not letting the world known because you're scared of how the world is going to make you feel about something that's already a huge point of shame for you, 
if that's you at every campus, would you, would you just start the cycle of faith by raising your hand? Nothing, nothing powerful about raising your hand. The reason we have you do that is because it's a statement of faith. It's scary to do. It's scary to raise your hand and say, yeah, there's some, there's some secret compartments of my life that I really want to come into the light. Because if we are in the light as God, the only place he's in is the light. There's healing and restoration and community that awaits you. Freedom awaits you. Thank you. Hands up at every campus. We shouldn't be surprised. This is the human experience. I'm going to pray that in 2018, those secrets not only exposed, but those secrets delivered from. In the name of Jesus, God, would you do this? As we begin to worship you at all of our campuses, would you heal people? Would you redeem people? Would you save people? Would you, Father God, give people the courage they need to put themselves out in front of the right people that they need to put themselves out in front of God? I pray that every ounce of condemnation that anybody's feeling because of shame would be removed, that they would know that therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because those who are in Christ Jesus have been set free from the law of sin and death and also they could have added shame God bless us as we begin to worship you God give us courage God may we no longer be slaves to the fear of our past to the fear of our failures and to the fear of our secrets it's in your name we pray and at all campuses let's worship God